Hello and thanks for tuning in to this episode of the ALT Learn Podcast. I'm John Tate and I'll be your host as we break down the craft of teaching and the science of learning, what this pedagogy looks like in the classroom, and get to find out how our teachers are turning all this theory into practice. So, let's dive into this week's episode. Welcome to another episode of the ALT Learn Podcast, where we've got a great episode lined up for you today, discussing effective SEND provision across the whole school. So I'm pleased to say that alongside me on today's show, we have an external guest to the podcast, Gary Orbin. Gary works for the Education Endowment Foundation as their SEND associate, supporting schools to be evidence-led in their work for SEND. He's also the author of The Lone SEND Core, a guide for SEND packed with over 300 questions and answers, together with the SEND Matters UK blog. And if that wasn't enough, he currently leads the SEND provision for a multi-academy trust, having worked as a SENCO in both primary and secondary mainstream settings. A warm welcome to the podcast, Gary, and a big thanks for coming on to discuss this with me today. Thanks, John. It's a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. Brilliant. So let's start by looking at SEND provision across the whole school then um, as, as an overview. Now, I know that in your line of work, you'll probably have no doubt seen both ends of the spectrum here, the, the good, the bad, the ugly of SEND provision. So can you give our listeners some kind of contrasting examples of what constitutes great practice and maybe some examples of not so good practice? Yeah, thanks, John. I think I'd start answering that question by saying I've never met anyone who doesn't want it to go really well. And I've never met any uh, teacher, teacher assistant, school colleague who doesn't want pupils with SEND to do to succeed like anyone else at school. So um, whereas sometimes, you know, you, you might meet adults in school, in mainstream schools, you think, well, is this school really? You know, should we really be meeting the, this level of complexity of need in our school? But I think even in, even there, it comes from a place of, of care and, and desire for all pupils to, to do well. So. Yeah. In terms of great practice first, I think it's where um, the, the inclusion, the differentiation, whatever we call it, the adaptive teaching, that the things that the teacher does to make their lesson meaningful for all learners is really embedded and it, it seems effortless and sometimes and it clearly isn't. And, but but it's, it's almost invisible sometimes. Yeah. You have to be really careful to spot it. And um, sometimes it's an interesting discussion with parents to reassure them to go, I know that it doesn't look like there's much going on, perhaps, but actually the way this teacher is just making small adjustments every minute um, yeah. is meeting your child's needs perfectly. So it's where I think um, with teachers and, and teaching assistants, whoever's leading the classroom or the intervention, it's where they expect all pupils to succeed. And you can see that they, they come along with, I've actually, and we talk about high expectations, don't we? It's a very sort of throwaway term we use in education, I think now, high expectations. Uh, but actually, it's, it's that really lived and, uh, you know, walk the walk of the expectation that all pupils can succeed and that if they're not, then there's something that I need to, to rethink a little bit here. So um, and then in terms of sort of uh, behaviour, engagement, motivation, those sorts of things, it's where the teacher or TA just brings those pupils back after something's gone wrong. And if it is a little redirection, even a little sanction or a warning or whatever, actually, there's the very clear sort of that the, the adult is just... Um, uh, enacting a policy uh, and actually really wants a child to do well and is going to catch them doing well as soon as they can. And so if there's something we need to correct, is that, oh no, that's oh, right. You know, we, we bring them back in through the right questions, you're catching them doing something really well. And, 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 and it's teachers, interesting, what, sorry, sorry, Joe, in, interesting what you said there, actually, and I hear this quite a lot, that people talk about what it's just kind of great teaching practice, isn't it? Actually, there's yeah. nothing massively different or you have to do this for sense actually they they really thrive and really don't thrive depending on the quality of teaching and actually they you know you know they, they will you know really you know have that real high expectation like you say the real strong routines mm -hmm. the real clear explanations mm -hmm. all those things that you would want from any normal great teaching practice that's what we must give to our sense students isn't it as, as you say 
I, t- I totally agree. And what what I think um I, I mean if I'm in danger of making it sound easy, then I don't mean to because teaching isn't isn't easy. Firstly, is it? And teaching for pupils where they're all learning at different levels or have you know different needs that mean they find it hard to engage or to behave or to um, meet your expectations. That's really hard. I don't mean to underplay that, but what I think where we get lost a bit is where we think the solution is in deeply technical, complex send answers, if you like. And actually, we we abandon what we know is works for pupils, which is those fundamental things about good teaching that, that you just talked about there. Um, and I think you know we can fall we can fall into that trap of being a bit you know um, thinking it needs to be something totally different. So. Uh, I've seen, he talks about sort of good, bad and ugly. So I've seen teachers who are unintentionally and with very good sort of, um, you know, they really wanted to work, but they're stigmatising pupils. And, and, you know, they really are providing something that, you know, there's different lessons going on at different tables because, of, you know, there's a send table and they're doing some, uh, you know, some going through their phonics while everyone else is learning that science. Or it's it's teaching assistants escorting people sort of around the school because the teacher hasn't really thought about how to help that child or those children to succeed within their lesson. Um, or, or it's where the teacher is delivering their lesson to 90% of the class and then hoping for the best. <laughs> and rather than sort of ask those difficult questions of themselves of how might my questioning change? How might I present this resource or this, uh, you know, activities that it's, uh, you know, inclusive and accessible for, for all. Actually, they, they teach to nine out of 10 and then hope for the best about that 10th child. But they'll be able to get there through sort of a bit of osmosis or through what the TA decides to do in the moment, or just that we hope they don't sort of kick up a fuss and, you know, and uh, behaviorally, uh, you know, ruin the lesson, I suppose. So it's, um, so that that's the worst, I think, is where we, the, the thought hasn't just been in of, let me front this, let me front the, the fact that there are pupils with a range of needs in my class and that I'm going to try and meet the needs of all rather than sort of teach to most and hope for the best for the others. Fantastic. And I think hopefully that'll be really reassuring the people listening because what we're kind of saying there, and, and I know this and you know this from your work uh, with the EF as well, in terms of the disadvantage gaps or any of those gaps, where there are where there is poor teaching, those gaps widen because those students, yeah. whether it's SEND students, disadvantaged students, they can't make up those gaps in other ways that other students mm-hmm. or, or their other kind of peers maybe can do. Um, so they rely on completely on the quality of provision and the education experience they're getting. So when that is poor or low standard or whatever however we want to kind of label it that's when those gaps massively widen so it, it is reassuring for people to know that you know the better we can really you know provide high quality rich learning experiences for our students then we're going a long way to actually reducing those gaps and i think that's nice yeah. to hear whether it's not a has to be a bolt on or five different lessons or spinning loads of mm-hmm. different plates and actually if we can get quality first teaching you know yeah. really high quality uh, and, yeah, know. and pupils who send are more like are more at risk of not having high teaching for a few reasons. I think so. It could be um, pupils with um, send and um, with the HCPs in particular are more likely to be taken out of that lesson for interventions or whatever, and actually therefore they're at risk of not receiving that high quality teaching. They're more likely to be absent from school if we look at national statistics around attendance. So they're more likely to be missing that high quality teaching. So there are a few factors that mean that we just have to be very careful, uh, and also sometimes some schools. Let's be honest. But the you know toughest classes or yeah. uh, and or classes who are low protaining or and or have a lot of send, you know, with those newer teachers while the heads of department get the you know the top yeah. sets and actually that you know so again most school most schools I work with are actually doing that in practice but I'm sure they're out there and that means again the the risk is that those people who need it most are not in that high quality teaching so I think we just have to look out for these markers and these these concerns that, that we can reduce that even sometimes accidentally absolutely so based based on your work with the with the EF then so underpinning those kind of great examples of of, of send practices and provision presumably and, and hopefully I suppose 
will be some educational research that, that's clearly informing these. And I know that there's been a lot, actually, I've been seeing on your social media feeds over the last kind of few days, lots of things kind of you've been retweeting and, and the EF are really pushing out things like the five a day and, and, and all those kind of strategies. So what are the main pieces of evidence that really all SENCOs or school leaders or teachers should know about that can really underpin how we provide great SEND provision across our school? Mm. Yeah, thanks, John. So there's um, so the main sort of piece of educational research that I've uh, had the pleasure of pushing out through my work with the EEF over the last um, year or so has been their um, SEN and mainstream guidance uh, report, which came out in March 2020. So just as everyone locked down and in not their difficult time, <laughs> uh, anyway, Perfect um, timing, who, yeah. who knew? Yeah. So um, so that came out then. And, and just in case people don't know that that kind of work that the EEF do is not about conducting new research, but it's about synthesizing existing research. So they yeah. put a tender out at the University of Warwick, won that tender, and then they looked at the uh, high quality evidence around answering some key questions around SEND. So the EEF did some scoping work around what the schools want to know. And they found out the schools want to know things like what, what is high quality teaching for SEND? What do um, uh, what does effective parent partnership look like? that supports increased academic progress of pupils, those kind of things. So they, you know, they scoped those questions, they looked at all the existing studies out there, and then they produced an evidence review of a couple of hundred pages on the EEF website, if anyone has a bit of time on their hands, and then they, you know, reduced that to something that's a bit more meaningful for, for teachers, school leaders, mm -hmm. TAs, um, which is, uh, you know, 35 or so pages, and it's a guidance report. And then from that, five key recommendations. So if, not, if you have time to do look at one piece of research around send and nothing else, I certainly recommend people go on the EEF website and look at the SEN in mainstream guidance report. And just there's a poster with five recommendations that takes five minutes to read and makes a really good discussion to have in a department meeting or with a colleague or um, to look at on the bus on the way home or whatever. So I'd recommend people look at that in particular. Um, around teaching assistance, there's, there's a separate guidance report from the EEF around teaching assistance, but where that work really starts is with Rob Webster's work at UCL at the Institute of Education um, around maximising the impact of teaching assistance. There's some fascinating work there, um, but this, it's covered neatly by the EEF as well, I think. Um, and then if, you're, if you run interventions or um, are sort of buying in interventions as Senka potentially, um, there's a projects page on the EEF website, which is quite good for going, has it been, have the EEF done a rigorous um, randomised control trial of this intervention? And if so, does that tell us that it makes a great impact or zero impact? And that's sort of, useful to know as well there's there's greg brooks has a similar um uh thing sort of collation of different um studies around interventions called what works with pupils with literacy difficulties i think it's called greg brooks and i recommend that but but lastly on this sorry uh, john i think it's not always about going what's the um uh what does send research evidence tell us mm -hmm. it's also about some of the most important things i think i've learned about um send are from research evidence that isn't always related to send so um there was a book i picked up a few years ago that's now in another edition it was called then 77 studies uh, the science of learning 77 oh, yeah, yeah. studies uh -huh. that all teachers should know it's now called 96 studies or something yeah. but it's the science of learning yeah and it talks there I mean, about, it's, it's, you know, it's by inner drive isn't it and i've, I've got that one yeah in a yeah, drive i think i've done it right yeah. thanks yeah and it's absolutely brilliant but but it's not send related and sometimes we need to go down um uh pieces of evidence that are informed by pupils with send and how did this impact on them and that's true of the es work that informed the sen and mainstream guidance report absolutely but if we want to know what supports pupil motivation, actually, that's really that's you know useful to know as an educator, teacher, TA, whether you whether these pupils have sent or not, and then it's about going okay, and what do I need to think about here? Where this child has a pathological demand avoidance and is likely to experience my mm -hmm. praise in a slightly different way. So, but it's worth knowing what works for everyone first, 
and then thinking about that nuance rather than only looking straight for some related research uh, things. So absolutely. Absolutely. And if we just if we just kind of go back a little a little step to the, the first thing you mentioned there, because there might be people listening to this who haven't read research reports before or the, the, the term research report immediately kind of puts people off and, you know, falls in the same categories as other things like dentists, doctors, you know, those, those type of things where it's like, Ugh. so if you can kind of whet people's appetite with maybe just one of those kind of, you know, one of the gold nuggets or one of those kind of areas from the, the you know, the, the, the kind of guidance report in, from, 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 from EF, yeah. what one thing very quickly comes out from there that people can go oh actually this might be useful for me to read them yeah definitely so so that would be recommendation three there are five in this guidance report recommendation three is about ensuring access to high quality teaching and we talked already about the reasons why there's potential threats mm -hmm. to that in some um for some people's ascend um and it not only does it say ensure access to high quality teaching it's a very easy thing to say but it's uh, it points to five specific approaches that teachers should embed in their teaching practice in order to better support the academic progress of all pupils, including those who send. And the research evidence suggests this is going to support them. So it is possible to go and look at a 200 page evidence review, or it's possible just to go right, well, what are these five approaches? They are explicit instruction, cognitive and metacognitive strategies, scaffolding, using technology, and flexible grouping. Now, clearly, just to sort of you know, listing those isn't going to sort of you know, have a, be the most successful thing for impacting uh, developments to teaching practice. But then it's about, you know, there's lots more from the EEF reflection tools around actually what does each of those five mean and how do I apply them in my own setting? There's a bit of a poster that gives a paragraph on each of those five things. There's videos of a year four teacher called Jess talking it through what it means in her practice. Um, the, yeah, various things, a, a similar reflection tool for teaching assistants to think about how does the five a day apply to their practice? So it's all on the SENA mainstream page of the, of the EEF website and it's um. Uh, yeah, that's the one thing I'd say, John, and not everyone has the time, and I certainly didn't when I taught 25 mm -hmm. minutes a week, to go and read journal articles. And those teachers who managed to be really research informed while teaching a full time table, I admire them greatly because I never <laughs> had the time to do that. Yeah. Um, but actually, you know, what the EEF, I think, try and do really well is go, if you haven't got time, that's understandable. Here's a condensed version that is still true to the original uh, evidence. Absolutely. And, and certainly knowing from kind of experience of trying to look at some of those articles and, and, and find my kind of way through sometimes what feels like a bit of a jungle of sometimes academic and highly academic language as well, isn't it? In mm -hmm. terms of being able to kind of actually understand that and, and condense it. But I, know I, I agree, the EF do a great job in terms of creating those those kind of really short and succinct kind of guides, whether it's a, a poster that you can kind of look at, that you can stick on your staff room wall or your classroom wall, that kind of stuff. And also, you know, that I mentioned a, a few minutes ago, things that are appearing on social media now, the little animated videos. I, I watched, you know, the one that you'd shared a few days ago that was a, you know, a minute and a half, you know, that showed those mm -hmm. five kind of main approaches. So I think having, giving people that very, very quick succinct overview lets people kind of into that and then they can explore a bit further from there. So uh, yeah, I, I agree. It's a, it's a great job. So anyone listening, definitely find that. If you're not sure where to find it, just go into Google. Literally, just kind of Google EEF. You know, send, um, and and you'll find it straight away. And you'll be into the kind of pages, and you'll be able to navigate around the the, the website from there. So talking about that, and then a perfect segue into kind of professional learning. Really, um, sometimes in schools, I feel, and certainly my experience of working in a few schools, feels that the Senko is sometimes the sole professional with the, that deep knowledge and experience of these areas, but. As we both know, and, and lots of people would know, just like areas such as behaviour, special educational needs is the priority of, of everyone and the responsibility of all staff, mm. not just the SEND department. Um, so how can schools lead effective professional development in this area, especially when there's always so many other topics and priorities on the agenda for you know teaching and learning leads and, and professional development leads? Yeah, it's, it's really tricky, like you say. I think, and I've seen it uh, done very well and, and not so well. 
Um, and also when you just, you said that John about Senko's having this, you know, professional knowledge and expertise. When I started the role of Senko, I had nowhere near enough professional knowledge and expertise. It was something I applied for and had shown an interest in and was interested in, but didn't have the professional, you know, didn't have a percent of the professional expertise and knowledge mm -hmm. that I needed. Um, and actually, I think there's a lot of Senkos who would be the first to admit uh, the head's just asked me to do this because I'm now assistant head and the Senko's left. And it's, there's a lot of people who do go in, you know, without a fraction of the knowledge that they will end up needing to know in order to do the job well. And actually, it's about appreciating that as well, that it's a journey that everyone's on, including the Senko in, in mm. many cases. Um, but where it's so, so a, a story I tell sometimes when I'm you know, do, speaking at trainings and things is on September the 1st in a secondary school, the teaching and learning lead will stand up in front of the whole school staff and say, this is our teaching and learning priority for the year. This is how we're going to teach this year. Mm -hmm. And then on September the 2nd, the Senko stands up and says, this is our SEND teaching and learning priority this year. This is how we're going to teach this year. Mm -hmm. And unless those two things align and yeah. unless the two people are on message with one another, um, it just go, it, it, you know, it's impossible, isn't it? And then teachers mm -hmm. are left going, well, is it is it A or is it B? Because that teaching and learning lead is likely to be a bit more senior in the school. It's probably going to be A rather than B. So it has to be done in conjunction. And the Senkos I work with in, in my trust role, um, you know, many of them uh, were standing up with their teaching and learning lead in a session that they delivered in September that I'd uh, written, found some exemplification for of teachers within our trust doing this five-a-day teaching. And then it would be the teaching and learning lead and the Senko standing up together and talking about the importance of it, using the same language, talking about how it's going to be followed up through learning walks, department mm -hmm. meetings, through resources that are then provided two, three, four weeks time to keep that momentum going. So it really needs to uh, um, be, you know, to align and then it needs to be followed up with colleagues. So um, if we just, you know, September the 1st, no, no one ever mentions it again. I think we've all been in uh, yeah. through an academic sort of year where something's launched on September the 1st and has died a death by October. So it's about follow-up and the EEF's um, Effective Professional Development Guidance Report talks about some of those mechanisms to, to sustain, to keep it going. But I think where I've, I've talked already about um, SEND being very mystical and technical, and actually what I think we need to do is start by solving teachers' problems a bit. So um, not to present pupils with SEND as a problem, but to present like the, the, the delivery of, of an effective lesson and where that isn't happening, what isn't happening, that's the greatest and most direct win and in for teachers, isn't it? So mm -hmm. what we can do is try and deliver our masters in SEND to all our colleagues, but actually what's probably more effective is to go um, effective routines that help everyone to engage calmly in your lesson and begin the lesson well, or um, uh, supporting pupils to retain the knowledge you taught them last term. Things that are about uh, those nuggets of what teachers are really striving to do for all pupils. And then we attack it from a bit of a SEND angle and we say, yeah, well, actually where that might be tricky is for some people to send it and others it may be harder for them to do x y and z so i think the training should really be focused on the curriculum that teachers are working really hard to deliver you know, right well, within this bit of history content i think this might be a better structure for how we deliver this and likewise with some pupils who teachers are working really hard to make sure they can succeed in our school and perhaps they're not actually we do um sessions around that are about particular learners and we we may do it we may end up doing sort of a session around autism but actually we do it through the through the lens of that particular learner rather than doing something that feels quite abstract and removed so i think um, the first thing is about a lot like aligning it doing with colleagues mm -hmm. the second is making it really really pertinent and directly relevant to what teachers are trying to do day to day and then finally it's about direct for me it's about directed time not just professional expectations so if we if they say if we want every teacher to read something about every people would send a pupil profile iep whatever we call it in our schools actually 
let's give them time to do it. Let's not mm. just hope that people you know, take them home one evening and do it. But actually, the, the, the department meeting time today is where we expect you all to be sitting and reading and discussing. And actually, that's, that's a fairer expectation than just do it when you get the chance. Perfect. And I, and I really like you know, those kind of really, again, really simple kind of ways that we're not trying to make anything vastly different actually getting the senko and the teacher and lead to be doing it together and even just that visual of seeing them stood together like you say is such a powerful one and i was as you were mentioning it there i was kind of smiling thinking back of the years and years of those pd days where that exactly you know what you described happened you know send was one it was was one session and the teacher learning was another session and actually how do we bring that together because as we've already discussed it's just sometimes about high quality learning experiences, which, you know, is, is, is completely the same. And it should be a bit like a stick of rock where we kind of break that stick of rock and it runs through everything we do. And it shouldn't yeah. feel, it shouldn't feel separate. Um, okay. So one of the, one of the kind of, kind of last questions, I suppose, a big last question is that our listeners will all probably know and appreciate that, you know, everyone's priority right now in all schools is kind of closing that same gap, the, the achievement and progress gap, just as well as it was a few years ago, but the gender gap and the disadvantage gap. And it seems like there's a real, push now certainly from the from the dfa or ofsted to really kind of make that send gap kind of you know as prominent as as maybe the the disadvantage gap was a couple of years ago so with all your knowledge and experience behind you now um what would be the biggest and most significant thing that all schools could do in order to start narrowing that send gap and i, I know we've been talking about high quality teaching and, and that mm. kind of stuff but is there any one thing that you would really uh we kind of advise that people should really try and focus on just to, to start to narrow that gap yeah, a little yeah. bit so before I give my answer, um, I know that some schools will um, do lots of VHCP applications, lots mm -hmm. of specialist referrals, lots of specialist interventions, get lots of external expertise in, um, send lots of pupils out to um, alternative provisions, and they'll do lots of things that may be helpful in some circumstances, but they'll do them at the expense of going, how can we make this classroom better for these pupils and this classroom mm -hmm. experience better? And actually where I suppose it's about not letting um, the not letting everything get in the way of teaching and learning and not to just bang the same drum of teaching and learning. But I know that when it's tough for Senkos, the easiest thing to do is to get behind that laptop and, and you know, type into a document because you feel like you've achieved something. Mm -hmm. And because if you're typing into a document and you press send, you can tick that off your list and you've, you have achieved something. And, and there is I don't mean to underplay those things. There's potential that makes a great difference for a child, but actually is an hour in the classroom where that where it's not working at the moment a better use of time for that senko so that i mean that's just really and that's me speaking to senkos particularly there but yeah. more broadly what should schools do is teaching and learning teaching and learning teaching and learning it's not throwing out that rule book of what good teaching is when it comes to send it's not going okay we need to look at the deeply technical and then provide something wildly different for that child it's about what are our existing systems practices things that we do as habits in our school what isn't quite working and how do we put a bit of nuance on our existing habits in order to make it work rather than going, um, uh, you know, rather than going, it, it can't work, we need to do something totally different, we need to start filling into pieces of paper. Um, and then it's starting every day afresh because within what I've just described there, sometimes it won't work and that's, we've got to be okay with that. Um, and we start every day afresh and we believe that every child can succeed and we plan our lessons accordingly where we're planning one lesson in which every pupil can access some of that learning meaningfully. That's very meaningfully. And we take we take risks in the way we deliver that. So we can ask just three or four quite hard questions to three and four high priority learning pupils and our lesson will go well, but we're not including most of the, you know, many of those learners. And actually we need to think, okay, questions progressively harder, 
I'm going to target questioning to people and I'm going to involve all of them, even if it means taking a bit of a risk because that people, you know, there's a, there's a greater chance these people might not be able to answer my question correctly. And then my lesson takes a bit of a tangent. But we've got to take those risks as teachers and go I'm planning a lesson. I'm confident enough in my lesson and in my curriculum knowledge to go, uh, uh, you know, to, to adapt mm -hmm. if people are just not getting it. So it's, it's if we... It's about having those that laser-like focus on, on improving teaching, making sure the Senko's at the heart of that, but making sure that all leaders, middle and senior leaders in the school are able to articulate what good centre practice is, mm -hmm. align it with what good teaching practice is, yeah. and then support that to happen in every classroom. Fantastic. So finally, my last kind of question mm -hmm. that I've been asking everyone, um, and this is almost a bit of a soapbox moment, if you want, for a, a very kind of short soundbite of a, a lasting message. If there's one lasting message that you want to leave our uh, listeners with who've been listening to the podcast today about SEND, what would it be? It would be that pupils with SEND are not aliens and that there is by and large no blood test for the vast majority of types of SEND that tells us whether a learner has SEND or not. Mm -hmm. And in some, in one school, a child will be on the SEND register. In another, in another school, there won't be. In one school, they'll be on that register for having speech and language need. In another school where there isn't a speech and language therapist who can assess or diagnose, they'll be on for moderate learning difficulties or something else. So actually, the identification and assessment processes in this country are, are so sort of unstandardised that, um, that we try and make it black and white. We try and make it go, they have SEND and they don't. And in some cases, that is that, you know, there's no doubt about that. But by the end of year 11, I believe 40 something percent, 40 percent of pupils will have been on a SEND register at some point in their school career, where, where only 16 percent of those will be on at the end of it, at the end of year 11. So actually, many pupils need support sometimes. Many pupils will qualify for SEND at some point, in, you know, as, as being on that SEND register at some point in the school career and, and not forever. So what that means, I think, for, for, um, for educators is that we should think, start with the child and what they need then. So we don't start with the label, the diagnosis, whether they're on a register or not. We start with, does this child need a bit of extra help with their reading? And if so, what, what is it about reading they find it tough? Is there something this child, child finds a bit difficult about being in my classroom? And if so, what is it they find difficult? And how can I, how can I address that? So we don't think in sort of black and white terms about send or not send. We think children are children. Some have labels, some don't, but it starts with, what do these children need and how can I provide it for them without that stigma? Perfect. A lovely message to kind of go away with there in terms of that start with a child in mind. And I think that if we all did that uh, all the time, then I think we would uh, we, we would get most things kind of, you know, right all the time. So, yeah, it's been brilliant. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for you know, a really, really interesting discussion today, Gary. And certainly it's really crystallized my thoughts as well on send and, and made me kind of feel um a little bit easier i suppose in terms of actually that that kind of idea of it's all about great quality teaching learning you don't then mm -hmm. have to think about something completely different and hopefully that'll really feel um quite comforting to some people to really push them back into that let's make sure we keep the main thing the main thing you know and that, mm -hmm. and that if we do that then you know we, we'll get more things right so if our listeners have been interested or, or as interested as i've been today then there's there's further help at hand because um you're running a, a session for us a, a course uh, a training course at Richmond School up here in North Yorkshire. Uh, a bit, bit of a trek for you, I know, because I know you're uh, from your end of the country. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that, that's on the 11th of November. Um, all the details on how a book can be found on our training website. 
uh, yes at aretelearningtrust.net. And that's yes, Y-E-S, at A-T rather than the at sign, arete, A-R-E-T-E, learningtrust.net. And then if you click on the training and events tab, you'll be able to find all the details for all of our courses uh, and the one that Gary's running for us today. So yeah, thank you very much, Gary. It's been, uh, it's been great to, to chat to you today. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the ALT Learn Podcast. We'll be back soon with another episode where we'll be speaking to more of our teachers and finding out how they're turning theory into practice. Until then, take care.